Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. Uh, what a joy uh, it is to just, uh, you know, not just witness, but share in the joy of the baptism this morning, right? Uh, and so good to see some of you guys' uh, faces I have not seen for some time. My name is Janice, and I'm one of the staff here at the city. Why don't you holler back at me again one more time? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Say, he is risen. He is risen. In, wow, excellent. He is risen. One more time. He is risen. That's great. Today we remember the resurrection of Jesus, uh, and that's why we celebrate. And uh, it's my privilege, my honor to bring the word to you this morning. Uh, and I hope that you are ready to jump right in because I am. Yeah. And uh, we're gonna look at John twenty, uh, John chapter twenty, and uh, I'm gonna, uh, you know, bring across some of the things I felt God's been just dropping on my heart. I hope it's gonna be coherent. Uh, if not, just you know, grab whatever uh, that strikes you. I'm sure that at, in any way. Beyond my words, uh, beyond whatever that's, uh, you know, constructed and, and communicated, that God will meet you right at the point of your need. And so the word will come to you right where you need and right what you need to hear. Amen. And so let me just pray uh, and then we'll jump right in. God, we thank you for our, uh, this, this privilege of coming and just sharing in the joy of being your family. The joy of you know witnessing the baptism of our brothers and sisters, um, and that's one family. The joy of sharing, and the joy of the parents who uh, have witnessed and been part of the baptism of their children, uh, and all eight of them, God, and the joy of just celebrating with family and relatives who are here uh, with us today, God. We give you praise. We say that you are presiding over our gathering, and this time is ultimately for you. And so we pray, even as we look at your word, uh, may our hearts turn to you. And Lord, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Uh, even you know, where we didn't know he need, uh, you speak to us and you bring life uh, to parts of our hearts uh, which uh, you truly need your resurrection power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, I just want to welcome, especially family, relatives, you're here to be part of witnessing uh, the baptism of you know, someone in your, your family. And it's a joy as I was reflecting. I remember just the first time that uh, I witnessed a baptism, and the first time when I first came to the city and I witnessed uh, this uh, baptism uh, uh, atmosphere too. And what a joy it is that a lot of times we do know that, yes, you know, it's a commitment in the heart to follow Jesus. But when we make a gesture, an act of faith, a response uh, to the faith that we want to express and communicate and say, this is my, my choice, right? Some of the one-liners sharing that some of them shared, I, I want to obey Jesus. I want to, you know, uh, make uh, take this step as an obedience, as a, as a response to God uh, for what he's done for me. So uh, we, we just share in the joy of acts of faith like that. And so this morning, as I, as I bring across uh, John 20, I pray that God will uh, just stir your hearts to respond to him uh, by faith, right? And beyond my words. And so let's look at this text. It's going to be a bit of a long text, but what we'll do is we will read it together, okay? I'll read the odd number and you read the even. Is that good? Just to keep you tracking along because it's long, all right? So one, two, three, four, and then we keep going. All right, I'll start. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. 
and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and so as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Excellent. You guys read very well. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Now, let me just unpack bits of this because, you know, we like a good story. And this story, there's a lot to unpack here. I'll just bring you phrase by phrase real quick. And then we'll highlight two things at the end of uh, me going through the 18 verses. Don't worry, it's not going to take too long. Now, on the first day of the week, now it tells us in verse 1, Mary Magdalene. What can we learn from John's account of Jesus' resurrection? We know all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, record the account. But what can we see in John's account? Mary here is Mary of Magdalene, or Mary Magdalene. And so she's kind of known to come from a village called Magdala. And that's why uh, um, Magdalene. And she's mentioned actually 14 times in scripture. Eight of them, she's uh, grouped with other people, but she's mostly mentioned first. So in that sense, like literary-wise, she's quite prominent. Okay? She's quite an important character. And by now, she had been accompanying Jesus and the rest of the disciples for some time okay, in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Luke chapter 8 tells us, um, it's not on there, but Luke chapter 8 tells us that you know, this is the Mary whom Jesus cast out seven demons from. And Ma- Mark 16 verse 9 tells us that it is to Mary Magdalene that he revealed himself first after he resurrected. So this Mary, okay, prominent uh, female character. Now the verse here tells us first day of the week. 
And I suppose traditionally that's where you know you have early Christians gathering on the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, although some would uh, argue differently. But where Matthew and Mark offer absolute time markers, you'll see if you if you go home and do like a, a cross study of the four gospels, Matthew and Mark will give this absolute time marker. They'll specify after the Sabbath. But John uses a more relative one. He says on the first day of the week. Okay. But he will later on emphasize something he felt was more important. Now we find differences between the gospel accounts and some of you are like yeah, yeah I've heard this before we, we find these differences but they're not necessarily contradictory and sometimes we're like oh this one different this one different one of them must be lying right uh, well you know different viewpoints it could be the same thing that they're conveying they just highlighted different things right you'll hear that when you hear different people sharing story of something that happened right where you were, right? You hear, no, that's not what happened. No, that's exactly what happened. It's like my husband and I telling the story of how we met and fell in love. It's just different version. It just sounds very different altogether. But they're not necessarily contradictory, right? They just emphasize different things. But what you'll see consistently, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is that they all emphasize the empty tomb and the witnesses who involved, for example, Mary. Now, notice the phrase it says here, while it was still dark, right? Now, this is where I thought it was curious because you contrast with Matthew, he writes towards the dawn of the first day of the week, okay? Mark says, very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen. The book of Luke says, at early dawn, that means daybreak already, right? So sun risen, early dawn, towards dawn. But I believe there's symbolic importance why John wrote this. So we'll take a look uh, uh, soon, closer. Now verse 2 says, she, So she ran and went to Simon Peter. I think she ran, she didn't look inside. I, I think she didn't look inside. But she assumed that, Oh, Jesus' body has been robbed. Okay, gone, his body. I can quickly go to the disciples, see what we can do. Grave robbery was a problem, right, uh, in their time. I think not so much here, especially Singapore. Not, nowhere to rob. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Anyway, I just came back from visiting my hometown. There's, there are a lot of graves to rob there. But so here it says, so she ran. Uh, presumably, she didn't look inside. Right? She just ran straight away. And interestingly, you notice in verse one it just says Mary, right? But verse two says she's telling the disciples, "We do not know where they have placed the body." That means she's probably not alone. Right? And that's what the Gospels do sometimes. They'll just be selective. They highlight one person. Right? They were most likely companions with Mary. Now, the other disciple here, and I underline, who could that be? John. Right? So Peter went out with the other disciple. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. So Peter, verse 3 and 4 says, So Peter went out with the other disciple. They were going toward the tomb, verse 4. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Uh, some people just find it funny that John doesn't name himself, presumably because he's humble, but then he yeah. makes, <laughs> yeah, he wants to say, I outran, <laughs> I outran Peter. Well, maybe it was not pride, lah. You know, he was just saying, "I'm younger." Okay, he was younger. <laughs> but so he reached the tomb first. He outran Peter. 
uh, and he inserted this. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth was five, but he did not go in. We don't know exactly why. It could be because it's feast time, so he doesn't want to be unclean, or he's out of respect waiting for the older guy to catch up, okay? And so he waits. Verse six, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, verse seven, and the face cloth. Okay, how many pieces of items? Two, right? Okay, verse 6, the linen cloth that's wrapping the body. 7 says the face cloth, which had been on the head, right? Like a turban, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up, right? Important to note, right? Stooping to look in probably because the tombs were narrow, so you need to stoop. So maybe that's why John didn't see the two things, but Peter did because he went right in. He didn't wait outside. Peter arrived, straight away went in, right? And so the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, why this? Okay, and, and hopefully we got a little bit of time to look into that. But I thought it's interesting, right? A couple of thoughts here. Now, if Jesus' body was uh, robbed, right? If you were the grave robber, would you have left it there? You, would you have folded the thing? Most likely not. Uh, and, and I suppose, you know, as I was thinking about it, because it's important to ask these questions, right, when we read. It helps us kind of understand what exactly happened. Is that if they, if I'm robbing and I want precious things, right, part of the precious things is the spices that come with the cloth. So I, I would not have left it there. So most likely not grave robber. And anyway, they don't tidy up, right? Why would you bother to fold it up, right? Cannot be. And, and, and you see that there's Peter and John who came to witness it. So it's important in Jewish tradition to have two witnesses, right, to have seen this. So I think John wanted to make sure that this was um, recorded, right? Let me show you an interesting illustration I found that was quite funny. Now, I think it's very likely Jesus was raised through the cloths, so he didn't need help. Here you see first one, body still there, so that's a corpse, Second, a pile of messy clothing. That's because of a teenager. <laughs> Third, grave robbers would have taken everything, right? But fourth one, Easter happened, right? So cute. Oh, you all don't find this funny, huh? <laughs> wow, how fu yen, ah. Wow, very, so patronizing. Okay, but I thought it was interesting, okay? The fourth one, very cute. And this guy is not very young. He's quite like elderly. I, I follow his blog sometimes. But he thought he, it would be cool to illustrate it this way, that Easter happened. The cloths, most likely Jesus resurrected through the cloths, except the head cloth that was folded lying there. Uh, let's move on. Okay, real quick. Are you tracking? Yeah. yeah. Verse 15. Jesus said here, right, before this, there were angels who were asking Mary, right, woman, why are you weeping? But in verse 15, we see Jesus asking her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Right. And Mary thought he was there. God, I don't know. I don't know whether he was holding a shovel or whatever, uh, but it could be, right, that, that the man is, because it's a garden tomb. And she was very bold. And she said, if you know where they've taken him, tell me so I can go and take him away. Now she is, he will be heavy, right? And plus, uh, with all the spices, Jesus will be extra heavy. Smell nice, but heavy, okay? And Mary would not probably have been able to carry it. But she says, tell me where so I can go 
and, and get him. Uh, I find that interesting. But the thing that I thought was very important to look at was this gardener. Right? Her thinking that Jesus was the gardener. Why? Now, Jesus says, don't cling to me, but go. All right, check with me. I'll unpack a couple of things soon. All right. Jesus says to her, don't cling to me, but go to my brothers and tell them. Okay? Tell them about my father and your father. My God, your God. It's, you know, I don't want to go into the details of why he thought like that. It's quite like a controversial like, verse to, to understand. But I think it at least gives a hint, verse 17, of the fact that Jesus was communicating that now on there is a new reality. There is a new reality that ultimately the disciples will not be able to cling to him physically, but that he will ascend and send his spirit. And so Jesus is communicating that in this way. Go and tell them about my father and your father. And that later on he'll tell them, I will send the Holy Spirit. All right. Are we okay? All right. Now, what can we learn about the resurrection? Here's where I'll unpack two things. Okay. First is this phrase, while it was still dark, resurrection happens. Now, we just ended the season of Lent. And uh, I know most of us don't typically observe it. We're more comfortable celebrating Easter. We're more familiar with it. Uh, um, actually, one uh, way that Lent is known is called the season of bright sadness, which I, I find is quite a, a, a profound phrase to call Lent. And those of you who made it to the prayer stations, some of you said, you know, it was painful reflection. It was, it was quite intense. It was heartrending. But it was redeeming, right? It was a, a beautiful time of reflection and of meditating on Jesus. So in many ways, Lent is like that, remembering the dawn, uh, the dark before the dawn. And that's Easter, remembering the death of Jesus before he raised to life. And the description of while it was dark is not really a contradiction. Compared to the other Gospels, it says the sun had risen, yada, yada, but John wrote while it was still dark. But maybe it was not that dark, actually, because she can still see the tomb and she can still see the stone was rolled away. Right? But why did John say while it was dark? I think John wanted to accentuate, highlight something. Is that it's not just that the sun had not come up, but that things were still unclear to Mary, right? Symbolically. John used the metaphor of light throughout his book. And you see this in chapter 3, 4. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because you know he could not understand what born again means. And it talks about in chapter 4, this woman at the well talking with Jesus and she understood really quickly and she was at the well at midday. And when Jesus talked to her, she really realized very quickly that this is no ordinary man. Right? John 3 and 4. John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we hear that often. Chapter 9, he taught about, it is daytime, let's work. He tells the disciples for night is coming. So this metaphor of light, dark, night, day, okay? Is John's description a contrast between faith and unbelief, or is it more an indication of a degree of growing in understanding? A thing of it is Mary being still in the dark, in a sense, right? Mary still in the darkness of her grief. She was already grieving that her Lord had died, and died such a torturous death and barely had time to be buried because they were rushing because of the Sabbath. And yet, she comes 
and her master, her Lord, is gone. The body is gone. In the darkness of her grief, she cannot understand what was going on, right? That, that Jesus was not stolen. And we sometimes forget. We read texts like this, or we come to church on Resurrection Sunday, we're like, yeah, yeah. But there was no way, if you put yourself in Mary's shoes, there was no way Mary could have known that, 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 that Jesus was not stolen. For her, it was just utter loss. Okay, I can't even properly put spices on my Lord. He is gone. I don't know where they've taken him. She had no reference for the resurrection. She's not reading, or she's not coming to the tomb thinking, okay, Jesus' body is gone, and like, okay, he's resurrected, I'm going to see him, but for now, I'm just going to be surprised. No, she didn't know that, that Jesus will show himself. She's completely devastated. She is lost, okay? It is complete dark moment, if there was a dark time in her life. This master who had changed her life forever, who loved with such a, a loving kindness, right? Is gone. She could not know. The day that we would know as Easter Sunday for us started for Mary while it was dark. Yes, Easter, we, woohoo, you know, Jesus is resurrected, he is risen, that's right. But it started in darkness. Easter is about us having victory in Jesus, triumph over death and sin, joy and breakthrough over vices and habits in our life, and having resurrection power and healing and miracles. But it started with despair, defeat, discouragement, grief, loss, a loss of power altogether, feeling hopeless. The setting from which the resurrection emerged really shapes what it should mean to you and I. What does the resurrection mean to us? What was it for Mary? It is from the shadows of confusion, from the sorrows that she was carrying, and us as well. The sufferings we witness and experience in life, that is how our Easter experience comes alive. It is not when things are a bed of roses, no. Since when is life a bed of roses? Am I being too fatalistic? I mean, we know. Right? Life can be complicated. We sometimes can't make sense of what's going on. We feel confused, uncertainty. We are in the dark of some things. My kids ask me what sounds like simple questions. Sometimes I don't know how to answer. Right? Try answering about why are they killing people from another country? They didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, why? Simple, right? But easy answers are not adequate oftentimes in life, right? And that is exactly why we need Easter. We need this dawn that Jesus breaks, the breaking of our darkness. If there is to be any Easter, it has to be in the real world, in the midst where things are bad, sad, and dark. And we know that. We're not gathered here as just a holy huddle. We're here to celebrate. We're going out of here. We walk in that joy and cognizance that, yes, Jesus is risen, right? And I carry his power with me. Recall the creation account in Genesis 1, verse 1 to 2. You know, interesting that it starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what was it like then? It was darkness everywhere. Notice how John the same guy who wrote what we have read about Mary, how he starts his book. In the beginning was the word. And what happens? The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not 
overcome it. John started intentionally that way, with a clear reference to the creation account. And the Jewish people would have known that. Someone wrote this, perhaps this current chaos of our world is in a strange way a sign of hope that something new might be being born within. Notice, I draw your attention to how Mary lingered. Now don't ask me why the two guys after seeing it, you know, after the tomb, they just went home. Like, I did not, I did not make it a gender thing, but they were guys, yes, factual, but we do not know what they were thinking. Well, maybe they had an appointment, so what happens with their wives, right? Yeah, give it. Yes, thank you. Yes, 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 yes. But Mary lingered, right? She stayed. I mean, okay, she stayed, but she thought Jesus was the gardener. I mean, okay, if I didn't have enough sleep because I was grieving Jesus' death and I woke up early to spice his body, I would be saying weird things too. <laughs> I would be not thinking straight. But she lingered. She stood there weeping. And she looked inside the tomb. And she encountered the angels and Jesus. Now, I find it increasingly true, difficult but true, that clarity, hope, and healing come when I'm willing to linger and explore and feel the hard places, which I would much rather ignore. Maybe the two guys left because it was hard to stay there. But she lingered. I would rather bypass these things, right? Avoid what challenges my faith in God's goodness. He's gone. He's not just dead now, his dead body is gone. You know, where easy answers are not adequate, where my clinging to old ideas and old ways hinder breakthrough, it's just easier for me to avoid places that are hard. But Mary stayed present. She stayed with what, you know, the, the scene of the crime, so to speak, despite feeling unbearable. I'm sure she felt so sad, staying there in the pain and the discomfort. And then her darkness broke. Sure, she took a while to recognize Jesus. Right? You must be the gardener. Right? But he called her name, and that defined her life. Jesus, you, we know that, we need to hear it again this morning, Jesus works in the dark. Where are you feeling darkness in your life today? Whether you're a believer or not, you know, some of us may not be in this room, I want you to know Jesus works in the dark. He works, he infiltrates it. He wants to redeem and transform it. He wants to transcend the power of darkness in your life, in my life. And the invitation for us is to live into this resurrection life even now, even while it is still dark. And is it still dark? Yes, in the world, in our hearts, in our communities. It may take a while, but hope and healing will come. It may seem out of reach, but it will come. Because darkness is the domain where we can dare resurrection to happen. We can 
saying resurrection should happen here. There should be resurrection power here right now. We need to stay there and stay present. And resurrection does happen. It will. It will take a while. Sometimes things are unclear. We can't see. Jesus, who are you? Is this you? But he is coming through. While it is dark, Jesus' resurrection power on us. Amen. Second part to unpack is this, right? Uh, this. <laughs> While it was still dark. Supposing him to be the gardener. I know there's an odd phrase to put up there, but hey, him as the gardener, resurrection happens. Now, for any Jewish person, we looked at, you know, when you read John 1, you think of Genesis 1. It's the same that in Genesis, you also see this image of Adam, who is the gardener. Jesus, Mary turns and looks at him. Are you the gardener? It was Jesus, not the gardener. On one level, she's got it wrong. But on another, she's right. Are you the gardener? Jesus, we started Jesus is better, this sermon series with the better kingdom. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God that that is superseding every power and authority on earth, every treasure, right? Treasure of great, pearl of great price. He challenged what people perceived. He embodied grace and truth. The first shall be the last. He confounds our minds and challenges our hearts. He challenges our legalism and our licentiousness in our hearts, both ways. He challenges that in such a gracious way. He shows us what true love is for God and true love for neighbor. What is true fasting? If you truly love, this is what you do. And so if your eye causes you to sin, what do you do? He was challenging. He was subversive. He challenged us so much. What is in the heart is what makes a person unclean, not what you put in it. He who has no sin cast the first stone. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Who is this man who hangs out with sinners and prostitutes? I do not come for the healthy, but I come for the sick. He who wants to be first shall be the last, and the one who is humble shall be exalted. The one who exalts himself will not... I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but... <laughs> But the one, okay, never mind. Pick up the cross. Take up the cross and follow me daily, right? Jesus says, follow me. Let them bury themselves, but follow me. If you truly love God, sell everything and follow me. Now, is that easy? You whitewash tombs. The branches that bear fruit, I want to prune to bear more fruit. A gardener trims and prunes weeds out and makes fruitful, isn't it? Someone called Will Willimon shared this. There was a member of one of his congregation. He had a long conversation with him. And so this man says, oh, you know, I've had a stunning vision of the presence of the risen Christ. Oh, wow, you know, but how come I've never heard you tell this to anybody? Have you told this to anyone? No, I've never told it to anyone before. And so this will guy asks, but well, why? This man says, you know, the reason why I didn't tell, because I was afraid it was true. I was afraid Jesus is real. I was afraid to say he came personally to me. And then what? Then I have to change my life. I think I, you know, I felt 
you know, prompted to put not just while it is dark when we say, you know, Jesus' resurrection works in the darkness, but that there is dying that needs to be happened for resurrection to happen. And that dying is likened to the work of a gardener. Throughout the work that we've been doing in the last few weeks, Jesus, we've postured ourselves, Jesus, deal with my heart how I treasure you, deal with how I view sexual freedom, deal with how I view money, deal with how I approach my ambitions, how I lay it and commit it before you, deal with how I try to be righteous externally and on my own, deal with this. But God wants to uproot these. He wants to replace them with what's better so that there's growth, like what a gardener does. Where do we need uprooting today? He is better. But we need to die to this life. And he writes, says, here he is, the new Adam, the gardener, charged with bringing the chaos of God's creation into new order, into flower, into fruitfulness. Don't we want to be fruitful with our lives and make our lives count? He has come to uproot the thorns and thistles and replace them with blossoms and harvests. Whom are you seeking? I seek my Lord. Where is he? Jesus didn't say, here I am. He called her by name, Mary. Called her in Aramaic, heart language. Mary says, instantly she recognized, my teacher, Rabuni. You see, she was very devoted. She was willing to carry Jesus' body. And I felt God, you know, challenging my heart also. A lot of times in our faith, those of us who follow Jesus a long time, we're very devoted. Jesus, just tell me what to do. I will carry it. I can do it. But sometimes Jesus just wants to encounter us and hear us call our name, hear him call our name. And no, it's not that we experience resurrection power because he tells us who he is. Do you know that? We experience resurrection power when we allow him to show us who we are. And I'm so challenged by that, even as I was prepping. Who you are to him is your encounter of Jesus' resurrection power. We know who he is, but when he calls you, he invites us to share in his death, to die into hope and new life. Doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, the baptisms we witness today is precisely this, dying and resurrecting in new life, right? Bonhoeffer says this, right? When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When I was 17, I committed my life to Jesus, grew up in church, only did that 17. It was after a few months of a season of darkness that I was not even aware of. And in hindsight, only in hindsight, when I look back, right, there were so many areas in my life that I was dead to. I was not aware. I was not letting, you know, I was not letting, I was not tuning in to where my heart was, what I was feeling, what I was thinking, what I had gone through. Only in hindsight, I realized, wow, I was so dead. My heart was so dead. I had no ambition, no purpose, no zeal, no drive, no desire to live a good life. Didn't have it. 
And I thought the things that I was involved in had no impact and I was proud about it. Not, none of this rub off on me, I'm fine. Like very strong. Until Jesus changed all of that. Nothing sensational. Just an encounter in a moment where he showed me who I am. Who are you seeking? And this morning, maybe you've heard of Jesus before, but you're not sure. You're not sure whether you are ready, but I want you to know that he invites you to encounter upon encounter upon encounter. And he works through what is unfruitful, and he wants to change all of that. And if you've heard of him before this morning, let me tell you again, Jesus came, right, God in flesh, to dwell among us, to take on the weight of the sin of the world. And he died on that cross so that his blood washes away our sin and gives us a standing with God the Father and reconciles us to this love that goes on forever, that will not end, so that your life is made new now and forevermore and that everything, every spiritual blessing is yours now and forever. He wants to change your life, change your heart and he's here today. He invites us today. So can I just invite you to stand with me as we close? I've said much. And wherever you're standing, okay, again, it doesn't matter how long you've been to church or whether it's your first time. And it doesn't matter to me whether you've said this before. But if you've heard this and this morning you're saying, I want to know Jesus, I want to commit my life to this Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus and live for Him. I believe that He has died for my sins. His blood cleanses me of my sin. He, has, he makes me new and I, I can have a new life in Him. And that's what you want to say yes to this morning. I will invite you in a moment to raise your hands so we can be praying for you. All right. You know, one of the amazing things, if I can have just a couple more minutes, is the linen cloths that Jesus left. You know, this linen cloth speaks of Jesus atoning for our sins. Because back in the Old Testament when there was the temple worship and the sacrifices and the Holy of Holies, the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement would put on special linen cloths to go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the sins, his sins, and of his people's sins. And once he has finished offering the sacrifice of atonement with blood, he would remove his linens and step out of that holy place. It is done. And this morning, not just those who want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I invite you where you're standing, no need to raise your hand, but in your own gesture of faith, response. If, there, if just this morning you need to hear again that Jesus has, is, you know, what he's done, washing away your sin, your past, 
it is finished. You want to say yes, Jesus, and respond to that. You do that right where you are. And so now I'm just going to invite, if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, you want to say, yes, I want to put my trust in Jesus. I want to give my life to Him and live for Him from now on. Would you raise your hand? Just high up, one hand, so I can see where you are. Just one hand raised and say, I want to turn my life over to Jesus. I say, yes, I want to commit my life and live for Jesus who has taken away my sins. Keep your hand high and raised. Anyone, just raise your hand if that's you. together with you dear Lord Jesus I thank you for forgiving my sins thank you for dying on the cross for me thank you for wiping away my sins I receive new life in you help me live for you with your spirit alive in me from now and always in Jesus name Amen now just ask the worship team to lead us in a response song and so in your own way you can respond to him <laughs> 